Good to see you here this afternoon as we seek to worship our God together. Uh, just a reminder, ladies, if you're planning on going to the retreat or thinking about even going to the retreat or conference with the ladies, uh, see Tricia so room can be worked out and so forth. <clears throat> well, now let us give ourselves to the worship of our God, turning in the Trinity hymn book to 173. 173 in the Trinity Hymn Book, All Glory, Lord, and Honor to Thee, Redeemer King. 173. <clears throat> Let's stand together as we sing. Vince, if he would lead us in prayer, asking God to meet with us this afternoon. Amen. You may be seated. Isaiah chapter 11 is before us today. Once again, we cannot read Isaiah, it seems, without feeling like we're on the road to Emmaus. Seeing from opening from the scriptures. <laughs> 
all the things concerning himself, himself being the Messiah, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have uh, in verse, starting right out of the gate, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. And this is a continuation of the previous chapter, which ended on a very somber note of judgment. He shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon shall fall by a mighty one, speaking of the trees of Lebanon, speaking of the people of Israel. So we have this rod who will spring from the stem of Jesse, a branch from his roots in verse 1. But, and uh, Rabbi Mordecai would be scratching his head when he gets to uh, verse 10, because in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. So how can he be Jesse's progeny, his offspring, in verse 1, and Jesse's progenitor, his root, uh, in verse 10. For us sitting where we sit in the New Covenant, it's very simple. The question is answered by the, the wonder and the mystery of the incarnation, isn't it? He is the root and the offspring of David, Revelation 22:16. Wonderful uh, truths uh, opened up for us, uh, mysterious perhaps for them. Pay attention closely to the description of our Lord in verses two through five. He he loves the fear of the Lord. He delights in it. He loves judgment. With the rod of his mouth, he strikes, and with the breath of his lips, he he puts to death. And notice the change of heart he brings to the kingdoms in verses 6 through 8. Many take this literally, and I don't uh, condemn them for that, but I believe this is a clear, (coughs) well, not clear perhaps, (laughs) but a reference to the nations and their change of heart. Because notice uh, there is a, a leopard, a lion, a bear, and all three of these are, are brought out in Revelation 13.2 for, for your New Testament uh, referent there. I love the uh, doctrine of his rest. We've already passed over it in verse 10. Um, Reminding us of Hebrews 4, he that believes on Christ has entered into rest. And isn't it glorious? His rest is glorious. We, are, we have seen the fulfillment of this passage in Isaiah. We are experiencing the fulfillment of it. Glory. Then, uh, finally, uh, I guess one other topic I'll just bring real quick. Verse 12, Jews and Gentiles. How wonderful for us to see this. Uh, As Gentiles, your New Testament uh, reference are uh, Revelation 7, Ephesians 3, um, uh, Romans 4. And also a second exodus is spoken of here, perhaps speaking of the immediate context, as Dan told us, There is an immediate context uh, for these prophecies and a future 
uh, fulfillment, the already and the not yet. The immediate context would be uh, prophecy at this point because they had not been carried away yet to Babylon and all the surrounding nations, but that the second exodus. But the far greater uh, second exodus, of course, is the one that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, brings, the Messiah brings uh, by the gospel. Okay. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of Yahweh will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of Yahweh. And he will delight in the fear of Yahweh. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor render a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with uprightness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will put the the wicked to death. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a young boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing baby will play by the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will do no evil nor act corruptly in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. Then it will be in that day that the nations will seek the root of Jesse, who will stand as a standard for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. Then it will be in that day that the Lord will again acquire the second time with his hand the remnant of his people who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Ethiopia, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. And he will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Then the jealousy of Ephraim will depart And those who assail Judah will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, and Judah will not assail Ephraim. And they will swoop down on the slopes of the Philistines on the west. Together they will plunder the sons of the east. They will stretch out their hands over Edom and Moab, and the sons of Ammon will obey them. Just a reference to for you, if you would like, Psalm 60, verse 8, and Psalm 108, uh, verse 9, regarding that verse. Verse 15, And Yahweh will devote to destruction the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and he will wave his hand over the river with his scorching wind, and he, excuse me, And he will wave his hand over the river with his scorching wind, and he will strike it into seven streams, 
and make men walk over dry shod. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant of his people who will remain, just as there was for Israel in the day that they come up out of the land of Egypt. Now take your hymns of grace and turn to 421. Am I a soldier of the cross? Hymns of grace, 421. Let's stand together as we sing. Sing Amen, don't you? You are just you should be seated. <clears throat> well, again, take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy 34. And I believe I can say with some certainty this will be the last message from the book of Deuteronomy. Remember years ago when I was at school, part of the Preacher Boys class. Somebody got up and spoke about how they were at a church where the pastor was preaching through a book and he was starting, he just finished the book and it took him over two years. And the pastor said something about, I enjoyed that so much, we may go back and do it again. And whoever the preacher was speaking to us, preacher boys, said, I almost got up and wanted to sock him in the mouth. And I don't know if that meant he didn't want to think about doing that again or what exactly that meant. But I I trust most of you have been encouraging with regard to going through this book. You found it to be profitable. I'm thankful for that. I do not plan to go back through it again. If you want to, I think most of the sermons are on sermon audio. So feel free to go back there. Moses is dead. He has led the children of Israel for the past 40 years. And now a new leader needs to be recognized to lead the people. In Numbers chapter 27, we read these words. 
Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, May the Lord appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in. So the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. So God's showing His love for His people by saying, they need a leader. And Moses, you need to appoint a leader. One who will come out and go in before them. I, I don't want them to be as sheep without a shepherd. They need a leader. We go on to read there in Numbers 27. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands upon him. Back in chapter chapter 1 in verse 38 of Deuteronomy, Moses is told that Joshua would be the one who would lead the sons of Israel into the land. The same announcement is made again in chapter 3 of Deuteronomy and verse 28. He shall go before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. Here at the end of this book, we read starting in verse 9 these words. Now Joshua the son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom For Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Now for most of you, just turn a page over to Joshua chapter 1. And there we read these words. And it came about that after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying. It's interesting that Moses described here again as what? A servant of the Lord. And Joshua is as well described as a servant, which is a position of honor. Verse 2, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. I have 
Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Moses will commission Joshua to take his place as leader over the people of Israel. It's one job I would not put in for. Wouldn't you love to be the guy that follows Moses, the greatest prophet of all? And Joshua has been with Moses all these years. Joshua has heard the people complaining and murmuring. Joshua knew about the golden calf that they made to worship. Joshua knew what it was for the people to have a heart that didn't trust God as they ought. And now Joshua is told, you're going to be their leader. And three times in the first nine verses of Joshua 1, what do we read? Be courageous. And do not tremble. Why would Joshua need to be told three times in that short space of time to be courageous and do not be afraid? Because there was much to fear. That's why. There was much to fear. But he was going to be God's leader for his people. And you know, when you turn back to Deuteronomy 34, in this one verse that speaks about Joshua, I, I believe we find three marks of a good leader. I think there is an absence of real leadership in our day. Godly leadership. God has appointed authorities in various spheres. In the home, he's appointed a leader. In the church, he's given us leaders. In civil government, there are leaders. But what do leaders look like? And what's the mark of a biblical leader? Men, in our homes, we are to be leaders. We're not to be slave masters. We're not to be tyrants. The best way I know to describe what we ought to be in our homes, men, is we ought to be servant leaders in our homes. In the church, God gives elders. The elders are to lead the church. They're not to be dictators. They're not to be authoritarians as far as barking out orders. They're to be servant leaders. The same in our civil government. God has given us civil leaders that we are to submit to. We are to pray for. But they need to be servant leaders. And that's what we find here with Joshua. He's to be a leader over God's people. 
And I want you to notice three things in particular about him that I think would help us to be leaders in our homes. If God gives us the responsibility, leaders in our church and leaders even with regard to civil government, how we ought to pray for them. So just three simple points I want you to notice with me. First of all, Joshua was a man who was energized. Energized. And by that, I mean he was a man filled with the Spirit. We read this in Numbers chapter 27. You might remember. I just read it to you there. In verses 15 to 18, Moses has said, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands upon him. Here in Deuteronomy 34, he's, he's referred to as a man filled with the spirit of wisdom. Raymond Brown, in his commentary, says this, The phrase, spirit of wisdom, may well refer to the work of the Holy Spirit. I, I mentioned this morning that the Spirit is often the neglected person of the Trinity. How often do we as leaders recognize our need for the Spirit of God to guide us, to help us, and to give us the courage to do that which is right and good, though it may not be popular or expedient? There are times that le- when, if you're going to be in a place of leadership, that you're going to have to make decisions that may not be popular. They may not be expedient. They, they might run counter to our culture. And, and every leader that I know has feet of clay. And it's only natural that they become timid or fearful. If, if we do this, if, if, if I see clearly in the Word of God that this is how we ought to live, what if there's a rebellion? What if people begin to murmur and complain? I mean, we're, we're good at that. In, in the home, there, there are parents who are fearful of their children. I don't want to upset little Johnny. What, what happens if he gets upset and, and he ends up leaving? In the church, we have the same thing. In civil government, that's certainly the way it is. And we ought to be leaders. And here I would say, even as parents, I said to the men, you know, you need to be leaders in your home, but, but mom and dad need to lead their home. And we need to recognize our need for the Spirit of God to instruct us, to encourage us, to energize us to do that which is right. Again, someone has written, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament time, the Spirit of God equipped certain people for a precise task. It was the Spirit of God that gave them the necessary qualities for their specific ministries. Paul recognized that. Look over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. 
chapter 1. Most of you are familiar with this portion of Scripture. Paul writes to Timothy, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but power, love, and discipline. He's given us a spirit of power, that courage, of love, to, to love those that we're leading. We're not to be leaders that are loveless, who simply desire the position, but yet not for the good of those we are leading. There needs to be a genuine love for those that we're leading of power and love and of discipline, that is of sound mind, to do that which is right and and good in the sight of God. The um, young people are now going through this book by Wayne and Josh Mack called Courage. And in it, there's a chapter in which it's entitled, uh, let's see, it's chapter one, You Can Be Courageous. How can you be courageous? Pulling yourself up by the bootstraps? I'm going to get through this. I'm going to do this. Or do you recognize God's given you a resource that he will use in your life to help you be courageous and do that which is right for his glory and honor? I don't know which one wrote the first chapter, Wayne or or Josh. It's a father-son but one of the things they it's in this chapter talks about the spirit within you. And it talks about a family that either one of the Mr. Max knew. And they went on vacation. And, and on vacation, there was limited resources. So they decided to stay in a motel for seven days. But to save money, mom made lunches and suppers so that they could eat in the room and not have to buy food out. When it came time to check out of the motel, they found out that the motel that week was running a special. And the special was lunch on them. They could eat lunch in the motel restaurant for free. But they didn't find out until it was over. And and the point that the Macs were making was this. There was a grand resource for them, but they were ignorant of it and therefore could not did not use it. And their point is, we have a grand resource. But how often do we neglect that resource for the energy and the courage to lead those God has placed under us? meaning the Holy Spirit. They go on when writing about this, the power of the Spirit. 
And, and in particular, they have in mind the passage I just read, or the verse I just read in your, your hearing in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. But they say this, Why can a Christian stand strong? It is because in and of themselves they are naturally strong people? No. Believers can stand strong because the spirit within them is so powerful. Often we tend to put courageous people on a pedestal thinking that they could never do what has been done because we are not as strong as they are. Scripture won't allow us to do that. The Bible goes at great length to show us that many of the men and women who accomplished great things for God were very, very normal. You know what normal means? They were like you and me. How are we going to get through this? How are we going to do this? In fact, sometimes it seems as though God went out of his way to choose the weakest individuals just to make the point that it wasn't about them and their abilities to make the difference. It's about God and His power. Then he says this. Think of Moses. Here's a great man. He stood up to Pharaoh and in the entire nation. He led God's people out of Egypt. Surely he must have been a man endowed with natural boldness and courageous personality. But was he? How did he respond when God called him to this great task? Not me, Lord, he said. Anybody but me. Please, please no, Lord. Reading the story, we are almost embarrassed by Moses' lack of courage. We say almost because most of us would have probably responded exactly the same way. Then guess what? Think of Joshua. What a leader! He took over after Moses' death. He led the people of God into the promised land. He was one of the greatest military commanders of all times. He must have been a natural, courageous person. It doesn't appear so. God tells him over and over and over again, be strong and courageous. Why would God have to say that so many times? Because Joshua would have been tempted to be weak and afraid. Think of Paul. Here's a man. Though he was stoned and beaten for preaching the gospel, no man could have stopped him from spreading that message. Paul stood boldly before great leaders and large crowd, never shrinking back. Yet even Paul seems to have struggled with fear. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote that he came to them with much weakness and fear and trembling. The point is this. These men were just like us. Yet they were to be yet they were to be incredibly courageous. How? Because the spirits work within them. Because they relied upon God. Don't say I can't be courageous. I'm too weak. God hasn't changed. The same God who enabled Moses and Joshua and Paul to stand courageous for Christ and for God's glory is at work within you. Stop looking to yourself for courage 
Stop making excuses and start relying on God. If we're going to be leaders in our home, we ought to be, in our churches, in our government. We need to look to another for the courage to do that which is right and good in his sight, and that's to God Almighty. And you might say, well, that's good for them in the Old Testament, but what about us? Well, it's still true today. It is still true today. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, we read these words. Be ye free from the love of money, content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will in no wise fail thee, neither will I in any wise forsake thee. So that with good courage we say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What shall men do unto me? Well, may God give us that type of courage, that type of energy to stand for that which is right and to lead in a way that's pleasing in the sight of God. I have been so disappointed in listening to too many parents decide that I'm going to argue with my children about what they're going to do. And they end up in this debate. And I stand there watching this. And I ask myself, why are you debating? God gave parents to be the leaders of their home. Lead them. But it may not be popular. They may not like it. Yeah, they probably won't. I don't remember ever disciplining my kids and them saying, Oh, Dad, thanks. I'm so glad you... I remember disciplining my kids thinking they're not going to like me. I remember disciplining my kids saying, you know, you know, you know every, so, every so often they get so mad. I can't wait till I leave this place. To which I usually said, there's the door. I didn't want them to go, but you know. It takes courage to be a leader. And God calls parents to be leaders, elders to be leaders. Not always fun. It comes with a lot of heartbreak, disappointment, and discouragement. Brother Dan just gave me an article. I don't know if you've been watching my life or what, but he just gave me an article about pastors being discouraged. No, he really, he just wanted to encourage me whether it was a good article. Well, that's a reality. There are discouragements. And so we need to rely upon something outside of ourselves to be the leaders that we ought to be. Secondly, we notice, going back to Deuteronomy 34, and here just let me touch on these last two. Joshua was not only energized, Joshua was wise. Joshua was wise. We read here, Joshua filled with the spirit of wisdom. This was a gift that God gave to Joshua as he would lead the people. This idea of wisdom is more than just accumulating knowledge in our brains. It's more than just having enough instruction so that, you know, we can debate certain issues. There are some people that thrive just on debating theological topics and they try to one-upmanship on what they know and, and how well they can debate over a certain issue. And, and churches are often filled with people that just desire to 
consider controversy and, and how we can somehow figure this controversy out. I mean, I suppose there would be some who would want to take an hour and discuss with me who wrote the book of Deuteronomy and why. And if you want to come up to me and debate with me about an hour on who wrote Deuteronomy and why, you're wasting your time. But men will debate those topics. And I suppose there's some edification in that. Many times it's overdone. But wisdom is taking the knowledge concerning God's will and then applying it to my life. I would rather hear men debate on how can I be a better husband according to the Word of God than debating on who wrote the book of Deuteronomy. I would rather hear men talking to other men about how can I be a more godly, holy employee than debating whether or not Adam had a belly button. I, I would rather hear men discuss how can I be a better churchman than whatever other debate they want to get involved with. We must be careful. And we live in a wonderful time. There are all kinds of things on the World Wide Web that we have access to. There are all kinds of podcasts, is that what they're called? You know? That you can listen to. And I'm not saying don't, I'm not saying it's bad. But if we're just listening to fill our heads with knowledge, but it has no real relevance in how I live and what I am as a Christian man, then what benefit is it? Joshua was a man who would come to the, the, the will of God and apply that to every circumstance of his life. Again, Raymond Brown says this, this was certainly necessary for Joshua in the days ahead. If he was to take possession of the Canaanite territory, he would need the spiritual sensitivity which would enable him to discover God's plan for the people in varied situation. How to cross the overflowing river. How to conquer an impregnable cities. How to find the secret and damaging offender. How to divide the land. How to inspire the people's worship and so on. Only a spiritual wise man with no other ambition than to glorify than the glory of God could demand such a wide variety of different skills. Direct me. To rightly... Joshua, Joshua didn't have this. We have this. And someone may say, oh, but, but God could speak to them. God spoke to Moses. God speaks to us. Every word that we need is found right here. The question is then, how do I take this and, and apply it to every circumstance in my life? It's sad how many of us 
understand that this is a treasure book. This is a book that tells me everything I need to know with regard to life and salvation in Christ. Everything. And yet how often do we neglect applying it as we ought? That's wisdom. John Blanchard says in his commentary on James, that verse, if any man lack wisdom, he says, wisdom is the God-given insight into our human circumstances and situations that enables a man to see God's will coupled with a wholehearted desire to see it done. Be a leader leader that knows God's will and then have a wholehearted desire to see it done. So Joshua was a man energized. Joshua was a man of wisdom. And thirdly and finally, I would say this about Joshua. He was a man, Joshua was dependent. Dependent. We notice here, it says there in verse 9, Moses laid hands on him. He laid hands on him. And oftentimes in the Word of God, when there was the laying out of hands, it would be accompanied with prayer. Moses was a man of prayer. He spoke to the Lord. Joshua was prayed over, recognizing he could not do this alone. He he needed the help of another. He recognized his dependence. He was dependent upon God and the need of prayer. And I wonder if if we're void of leadership in our day to the degree that we are is because we've neglected this whole area of prayer. We've not prayed as we ought. And when I say we, I mean we. Well, oftentimes, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, we have a demeanor that says, I can figure this out myself. And get through this. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, as a church, we're facing some big decisions in days to come. And someone may ask, well, how are we going to make these decisions? Are we going to wait for the banker to tell us whether or not this is going to work? Are we. Are we going to wait for somebody else to tell us something? Or Listen, we need to be praying. Crying out to God. What's the future leadership of this church look like? As I mentioned this morning, you know, um, nobody gasped. That was the only disappointing thing. When I said, in two years I'll be 70, I expected this corporate, Really? But it didn't happen. But what does the future leadership of this church look like? We need to pray that that God would give us leaders. 
Moses is an example to us that no man is irreplaceable. No man is indispensable. We can't do it without him. But we need to pray that God would raise up leaders for this assembly. We need to pray for our families, for our homes. Pray that men will step up and be the men in their homes they ought to be and lead their families. That parents would lead their children. We need to pray. Not quit. You see, the importance of prayer in all that we do, if we're going to accomplish anything, I, I, I don't believe the church believes this, but it's true. If, 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 this, if any church is going to accomplish anything, it's not going to be because they've come up with the right fangled plan and program. It, it's because they've given themselves to prayer. Who, what, was it Mr. Spurgeon? Who one time somebody came along, I forget how the story goes, but it's something like somebody came along and said, wow, this is some church. How did this church become like this? How, where, where, did, where, does the, where does this come from? And he says, come with me, show you. And they go down through the building, and then I don't, I don't remember the whole story, so I'm probably not getting it all correct. But if I understood, if I remember correctly, which at my age may not be, but if I remember correctly, that, that he took him into like a boiler room. And there were people on their face before God praying before that service. Some during that service. He says, here's where the power comes from. It's not in my abilities. It's not in my gifts. It's not in my voice. It's recognizing our dependence upon God. And so we we can get excited. I mean, I'm, I'm very thankful. There seems to be a good spirit in our assembly, and I'm thankful for that. I think there's a genuine love for one another. I mean, I, I so enjoyed this morning after the service looking back from back there and, and seeing people crowd around, gather, talking, fellowshipping. I finally had to say something. Hey, folks, we got to get downstairs, got to eat, because i got to, you know, I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I think I've told you the story before. Somebody visited with us one time and they were getting ready to leave and they turned around and they looked at me and they said, do you have to tell them it's okay to leave? Why are they all in there? To which I said, they just want to talk. Fellowship. That's good. You see, visitors were delighted. But unless God is pleased to bless our labors in vain, unless God builds the house, our labors in vain, therefore... We ought to be people of prayer, continually on our face before Him. So as we think of leaders and leadership, here's some good things to remember. We need God to provide us with leaders who are energized, not by their natural ability and gifts, but by the Spirit of God. We need leaders who are wise, who take the Word of God and rightly apply it to everyday circumstances and situations. We need leaders who are dependent and recognize it's not them, but it's God, and they're dependent upon Him. And so we end the book 
I was a little afraid to read that next section in Joshua, lest some of you think, oh, so now we're going on to Joshua. We're not. Don't ask me where we're going. Uh, next Sunday, I think Mike is preaching in the morning. I'll be in the afternoon at the Lord's table. And then the following Sunday, Pastor Cook will be here, and I'll be over there because we're at a conference that week. So uh, it's going to be about three weeks before I get back in the pulpit in the morning worship. So pray for me. God will give me direction. But uh, what a wonderful book. I'll miss Moses. He's been my companion for two, two and a half years. And now he's gone. But may we press on and continue to exposit God's Word and rightly apply it to our hearts and lives. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for, for Your Word and thank You for giving us a book like Deuteronomy. Father, we pray that the lessons we've learned as we've gone throughout it will not be quickly forgotten. But Father, we'll continue to apply it. May, may we love Your law. May Your law bring others to Jesus Christ. May we listen to Your Word, even as Moses told the people over and over again, listen. May we be courageous in the midst of opposition. And may we seek to live to the glory of our God. Help us, we pray, as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, take the hymns of grace again, and we will sing together 385, 385 more love to the hymns of grace. Let's stand together as we sing.
dismissed.